everybody. Uh, nice to have you today. Um, I'm Alexandra. I'm the president of the Data Science Society, and today we're having Ria, which is our podcast lead. Uh, Ahmed is uh, our uh, director of data at Sky Showtime, and Dom, uh, our senior data engineer, same company, Sky Showtime. Uh, welcome, and uh, we are really happy to have you today. How are you doing? Hey, good, thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great. Ria, if you don't mind uh, starting with the same with the first question. I guess. Hi, Dom. Hi, Emhat. Uh, so our first question is to just understand if you could give us a background about yourselves, um, you know, your general experience and, uh, you know, finally coming to your role at Sky Showtime. Maybe what is it that you do and just a general introduction and your career trajectory. Maybe, Dom, if we could start with you. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Ria. Uh, so. As Alexandra said, uh, I'm a senior data engineer at Sky Showtime. Um, I have been with Sky Showtime for uh, just under a year, um, which actually isn't uh, unusual for Sky Showtime as we are a very young company. Um, I'm sure we can cover a bit of background on who we are shortly as well. Uh, and um, I have been working as a developer uh, and engineer uh, for the past um, four years. Uh, I've previously worked at Sky, uh, where I've worked on the ingestion pipeline that brings in um, all the data from across um, the, the company and out of outputs into various different departments, one of one of which is indeed Sky Showtime. Uh, so I was quite lucky to get a bit of an in, insight on the end-to-end -end, uh, process and how data is collected and then now used in, in other, other places. Um, but before then, I've actually had a, a more of an unusual uh, route into uh, the world of technology and software. Uh, so I studied law in university and qualified as a chartered legal executive uh, where I've practiced for a number of years uh, in uh, civil law, in particular commercial property. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of an interesting entry into technology, um, but I, that's on one point, I've decided that law wasn't for me after all and um, learned how to code and was lucky enough to uh, secure an opportunity within Sky, um, which was a programme for uh, career changes, uh, in particular women who wanted to enter the world of technology. Um, and that's helped me to transition from law to tech. That's, that's really nice to hear. Um, was it... Uh, was it specifically something that you loved about data, or was it um, has it allowed you to maybe introduce some 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 skills that you uh, learned during the your law years? Uh, it probably wasn't. It probably wasn't data specifically. Uh, there are a lot of transferable skills uh, mm -hmm. in in problem solving and being able to learn sort of complex concepts and apply it to uh, various scenarios. Uh, after all. Law is is figuring is extracting the facts and That's figuring true, out yeah. the solution or what the applicable laws or case um, cases are, and not too dissimilar when it comes to uh, coding. You work out what the problem is. That's usually half of the solution. Once you've got the problem, it's relative. I say relatively easy. It's easier to then figure out um, how best to apply the technology or the the coding language that that you know. That sounds incredible. Um, Emma, go next. I'm not sure mine's quite as exciting as Dom's, but um, I, 
spent most of my career in data and analytics. Um, I actually started my career um, uh, working in Pizza Express and then finally got an opportunity to uh, to work in the school looking after the IT and then I was working as an IT support officer in an engineering company and they had an opening um, to look after their databases which then grew into BI uh, which then grew into you know working across the stack really from uh, back-end databases and infrastructure all the way to creating analytics uh, and data science projects and everything kind of in between. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to to work at a variety of different kind of companies, everything from from banks to Lego um, to Shell, um, and and I previously worked with Dom actually as well uh, within Sky um, in the same department. So um, moving to Sky Showtime was a, a bit of a natural progression, really. Um, um, and some of those roles have also kind of spanned, you know, architecture as well. Um, so I focus a little bit more on. Um, maybe stakeholder alignment, a little bit of delivery, strategic direction. Um, I think my development skills are, are not quite as sharp as they used to be, unfortunately. Still plenty of experiences and I, I know with time you, you, you lose, the, you, you lose the, the feeling of coding, but I'm sure that if you take a month or two, uh, you'll, you'll be back at business and you'll be brilliant as well. Um, and if you don't mind, because um, uh, we've started talking about Sky Show time now, uh, maybe could us could you could you introduce us to what it is and what's what is mission maybe? Yeah, Dom, I don't know whether you want to kick off and I can try and fill in any gaps. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was hoping you'd answer answer that <laughs> one. So so Sky Show Time, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're a relatively young company. Uh, we uh, a joint venture between Sky and Paramount uh, to launch a streaming service uh, across mainland Europe. Uh, so we, we've um, launched between last September and, fe and this February, uh, we've launched across 22 different territories from uh, sort of the Nordics um, all down to um, Eastern Europe. Um, and and so on. So um, we are across yeah, various various territories. Uh, we offer a wide variety of content, uh, both from sort of Sky and Paramount. Um, so a lot of the the big titles that you would see uh, here in the UK are probably on our platform uh, at, at Sky Showtime. Uh, but as well as that, we offer more localized content. So the which <laughs> brings me onto one of the what possibly one of our challenges uh, is that the got localized content we've got a number of different languages uh, so we it's quite important that we we have the right um subtitles and dubbing uh, on especially on the on the english speaking content although we share content uh, localized content across territories anyway um so yeah that's where we are in terms of sky show term i'll pass to Ahmed to fill in the rest of the gaps <laughs> no i think that's brilliant yeah i don't think there's anything more i could add really i think you've, you've covered it Thank you so much for sharing that, Dom and Emma. Um, so just to understand in the context of Sky Showtime, could you help us understand how does data, data engineering, play a role in defining the business strategy for a platform like Sky Showtime? I can make a stab and then Dom can maybe fill in. I, I think that, you know, the function that we work in is an enabling function. And if we have a look at how far the data that we provide spreads it, it can go through, um, you know, different departments such as finance, HR, um, marketing um, and different sub, sub parts of marketing as well as the strategy department. So I think that 
um, inherently all of the decisions are either backed up or, or made or used through data. It doesn't always come necessarily through through the data engineering pipelines. You know, um, we're not we're not so centralised that we're the only department. But I think that you know. Um, everything that flows through an IT machine is effectively data, right? So arguably, uh, all of the transmissions and everything that we do, you know, we're transmitting data to consumers at the same time and we're receiving data back about that as well. So very broad answer, but I, I think that it's, it's quite well embedded within the company. Um, maybe not necessarily as, as pronounced, and um, but it's there. Um, Dharma, I don't know whether you want to build. Um, so one of the uh, aspects that we... Um, provide data on and and um, assist with reporting is is our user numbers. Um, so within um, Sky Showtime, we um, said so we across different partnerships, we we are our apps are available uh, both via um, Apple and, and Google stores uh, and as well we, we're available on web and number of different um, smart devices as well. Um, so our user data would come through across from various partners as well as directly through the, through the web. Uh, so, so we facilitate uh, collecting all that data and uh, putting that together in a more uh, sort of unified aggregated format um, that we then make available to our analytics team who create dashboards with users coming across different platforms uh, who can and they can then um, the business can then use those dashboards to make decisions on um, which partnerships have been successful which uh, aren't performing as well um, and drive further insights from there that's that's amazing to hear and and the the cool thing is that uh, you actually uh, somehow introduced the topic that I, I wanted to move on to because uh, you mentioned uh, that you're building dashboards for um, for uh, helping the company take decisions. So my question would be, how is all this data used uh, to be better take business decisions? Because um, we've seen more and more that data is at the core of some decisions. Because uh, uh, of course, guts and uh, personal experience has to come into a play and has to uh, it it has an important role. But with all this data that we're gathering, um, it will be a pity to not to ignore it and not understand it fully to, in order to uh, take a better decision. I can try and start one and then um, and then I mean, if you look at from a product perspective, I think our product team are always keen to understand the performance of, of certain elements that they kind of put on the platform. So if there's a particular button, they they may uh, be interested in uh, you know the journey to that button or how many people click through from one element to the next um, and also you know just kind of general navigation in terms of you know is the UI kind of laid out in a way that's easy for the for the consumer to find content um, so I think that there's always kind of various elements that are being evaluated from um, from an internal and external kind of data perspective as well um, so you know data to back up user preference behavior as well. So it's not just always data driven as well. There's kind of subjectivity added to uh, and, and context added to the data as well. So I think it, you know, in that scenario, it could be used to kind of drive a certain piece we recently found out or we, you know, as we kind of work with uh, the product teams that um, a question may lead to another question that may lead to another question uh, and then vice versa as well. You know, a perspective from a uh, consumer may need to be validated at the same time. Um, so that's that's kind of one area that, that's kind of heavily used. So um, uh, in terms of data usage. Yeah, I guess the 
other point uh, just to pick up on you were saying about the uh, price pricing models uh, one behavior that um, our marketing team is um, is reviewing our monitoring is how our offers perform um, so um, when we launched we we had a number of offers that were available to users in various territories um, and so marketing were able to track over time how the users who um, took up these offers uh, are performing so for example uh, in places where we had a, a free trial for x number of days um, the marketing team were able to then draw insights to see whether um, users churned or when they churned I mean left the platform um, after the the offers expired or whether they continued being a um, a, a customer uh, and if they continued um, we may then start asking further questions as Ahmed said uh, it would be whether what kind of content they watched what are they interacting with uh, and whether there are any any patterns so yeah answer one question start <laughs> start asking a lot more new questions um, and was there any time when you started by a question and you end up to a totally different thing like was it something that really surprised your challenge um technically in any ways uh with all this product development and adjusting the product and so on i think there's there's various elements that that we kind of look at there's one that kind of you know springs to mind in terms of you know what avatars are popular and how they're used because you know as you start delving into it mm -hmm. um you know different platforms have um uh, different perspectives to an end user so a web user may see something slightly different and, and one of our analysts did some analysis recently and and came up and actually started with a very basic question but actually further exploration um potentially through just just you know interest in it's in the area itself drove further questions so sometimes the business question that you get can actually lead the person that's doing the investigation to you know kind of propose things that weren't necessarily asked in the first place as well so um you know, on the flip side, there is elements of data that just to use for operational users, right? So, you know, finance, for example, yeah. um, would want a, a kind of straight data pipeline or, you know, customer service may be interested to check, you know, can we just verify that, that X happened or Y happened as well? So we kind of cover a broad spectrum from, from operational and kind of ad hoc use cases all the way to supporting, um, you know, analytics ones at the same time. Um, so you mentioned data engineering pipelines. If you could help us understand what they are and to just cover in terms of understanding what is the technology leverage, if you could tell us how are they built, how are they maintained, what is the technology behind it? Uh, sure, uh, of course. So, uh, on a, so on the Sky Showtime side, uh, we we are heavily reliant on or heavily have heavy users of GCP. Um, so so majority of our applications live on on GCP. Uh, so anything that I talk about uh, should be in in that context uh, really. Uh, so it's just to to clarify. Uh, now in terms of the data engineering pipelines. Sorry, we, I'll just. I, I just mentioned GCP is Google Cloud Platform, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, so yeah, I should have, should have clarified that. No, well. it's all right. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's okay. because you, you've been using it for so long, you, you, you already know the abbreviation, but I just wanted to, if there are some, some people that don't know, uh, to make it more clear. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, so in terms of when, when we talk about um, data engineering pipelines, um, 
it's really a, a broad term that describes the movement of data across the platform uh, in one shape or form. Um, so for for Sky Showtime, that looks in looks well. It's made up of uh, a couple of different ways. Uh, so our our platform um, is provided by Sky, and and that's where the domain ingestion of the data happens. These the team that Ahmed and I worked in previously. Um, so those. Um, that main ingestion um, is the applications, uh, custom written applications that uh, ingest data from both the, uh, the Sky Showton platform and various other sources, including the partners that we work with that may host our platform. Um, and um, they then process that data um, by putting it in a in a more of a normalized format so so that everything is is uniform uh, the maiden applies some additional transformations such as um, hashing and encrypting any uh, personal personally identifying data um, so so that when it gets all the way through to us um, we can't just look at what our friends are doing and <laughs> On the, on the platform in terms of viewership, uh, we take data privacy very seriously. Um, and so, so within that platform, uh, once the data yeah, once the data has been sort of processed, transformed, um, it is then we then use uh, Dataflow, which places uh, which creates sort of more um, unified views in BigQuery, uh, which form uh, the basis of the Sky Showtime data. Uh, now on the Sky Showtime side, we use a um, we use a medallion architecture when it comes to our database design. Uh, so our bronze layer tends to be the uh, the views that uh, the Sky outputs for us, um, and these are split into uh, various different views, including user data, video data, uh, sort of product data, uh, and a lot of stuff in between. <laughs> so I won't cover cover those all. Uh, we then have a silver layer. Um, again, that's in GCP, uh, Google Cloud Platform, utilizing BigQuery. Um, the silver layer tends to have um, additional transformations uh, and sort of joins to really make the generic data more uh, company friendly. Uh, so something that, that we need uh, specifically for Sky Showtime um, and where our business cases lie and then finally we've got the gold layer uh, which is our uh, aggregated data uh, that is used for for dashboards so um so the gold data would be sourced from the sorry gold layer is sourced from the silver layer silver layer is sourced from the bronze layer um so we've got a nice flow of flow of data uh, in in that direction um we, for the most part, uh, we use batch processing, uh, meaning our data is refreshed once a day, uh, and we use we utilize Airflow uh, to orchestrate that processing. Um, we do also have some streaming pipelines which connect to some of our marketing tools um, as well, um, which uh, that's the that's more of a direct connection between this the, between the output of um, data from the sky systems straight into uh, the the marketing tools. Uh, but that's roughly how our data architecture looks. And just out of curiosity, because I I was always wondering while I was watching something on on a streaming platform, is there are like do you do you use for let's let's give you an example. Maybe it's it's easier to ask this. So. 
let's say I'm, I'm starting a, a series, um, I don't know, a random series that I want to watch. And I'm starting with the first season, first episodes, because I've never watched it before. Um, and um, let's say I'm, I'm watching three episodes on, on one go, and I'm just stopping at the fourth in the middle. Um, um, is there, uh, like, is this data captured in any way? Are, are they, uh, is there any way to uh, gain some uh, insights in understanding why I've stopped there or uh, why I've, I've been watching for that? period of time or uh, I don't know some some measurable things that then can be transformed in in a call to action something yes I mean I think it's when you're using a, a product uh, that's uh, hosted by a third party I think it's safe to assume that any interaction you have with that product is is recorded in in some shape or form uh, in terms of the the insights that that we we drive um, we there's, we we have, we look at it from a, a analytical perspective uh, and see a general actually saying, okay, so you've started watching this series, although it actually won't be on a personal level, it'd be at a kind of a user group level. Um, we look at, so you've watched the series, you watched up to episode three, and then we maybe look at some trends uh, to see, well, is everyone else stopping on episode three? What's wrong with episode three? Um, is this just not particularly good? Or I don't know. We 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 ask these questions essentially. Um, so that's the um, that's some of the questions we ask. But we may also look at more from a a maybe a debugging or problem solving. Is okay. So you've you've stopped at episode three. It looks like everyone stopped at episode three. Do we have is is our app crashing? Um, so we can look at it in in different ways. Uh, I mean, we may never see why you've you've chose to start by that particular episode, um, but there's definitely yeah patterns, trends is what's really useful, uh, as well as debugging if um, if we have some reported issues. Don't know if Ahmed's got anything more to add. Oh, thank you. You covered it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dom. Uh, so, Dom, you mentioned the medallion structure. You mentioned the GCP products that are leveraged in the setup and uh, for, you know for the pipelines. And we also understand that uh, the setup is relatively new. It's or it's a year into the process. So, could you share some of the challenges or you know just understanding um, what are the unique things that probably took place while the setup was taking place? Maybe something unexpected. Um, or something that maybe you've applied from your previous role. So just trying to understand what are the different challenges faced while doing the setup, or maybe the challenges that you face currently, because of course, putting a structure to everything requires time. And I think it's incredible to achieve what you already have with respect to the team outline. So if you could just give us some more context and then coming to my second question, just understanding day to day your role um, in this team as well. Sure. Uh, so in terms of uh, the, I guess, challenge around the setup, uh, maybe start with saying about a positive uh, in that being a joint venture between two very well established companies and having a, a platform provided for us by uh, by Sky, that's actually uh, shortened the, the number of time we would have normally spent spinning out of a brand new platform. Uh, so that's been a, a huge help. Um, and but on on the flip side, uh, we we went from uh, yeah we went went from 
a brand new company to a launch in uh, in less than six months. Uh, so there was a, a big expectation uh, on us to deliver and set, set up the platform and uh, provide that data uh, to the company, um, especially in the earlier days, uh, which Ahmed can speak to uh, a little bit more since <laughs> he's been with the company longer than, than I. Um, so that's yeah. So that's one of the challenges is actually trying to yeah trying to to get that uh, platform working really quickly. Um, I guess another one is we we have had yeah had that help from Sky, but also we face new challenges with having uh, with content in different languages across different territories, uh, and so it's figuring out how to adapt the ready-made platform uh, to to our needs um, so that we get the best out of it. Um, and now that we have launched and are through that um, rash period, uh, we've hit a new challenge, and that's how figuring out what our day-to-day -day would look like uh, or business as usual uh, looks for us. So, so going away from that mad rush to making some of the trade-off decisions where we value time over uh, perhaps a more resilient solution to now unpicking some of these decisions and making good choices for the for the future um that's the yeah that's probably the biggest challenge at the moment uh i don't know if Ahmed wants to add any more challenges um i'm just trying to think i mean it's always difficult to to understand the data as well when you first start somewhere it takes a little bit of time to to understand the structure, the format, um, which is also quite an exciting time, right? To to kind of play and learn at the same time. But as as Dom has said, we we're kind of launching and growing the team at the same time. So some of the other elements that come along with that is we we're still we're still embedded processes and we're still learning as we're going. So what my we're kind of launching may not may not be what we need now. And you know teams grow and shrink, and then those processes of knowledge sharing across members. Um, I mean we're a startup. Um, so we have kind of, you know, startup problems at the same time, startup opportunities, you know, those those uh, kind of go hand in hand. It's uh, uh, it's fantastic, though, I think that, you know, not just challenges, we get to do quite a broad spectrum of of the, you know, the technical area and the business facing element as well. So I think that, um, you know, it's it's been good um, and it's fast paced, but I think that that's that's what we enjoy doing. Um, and, and we work with smart people as well. So I think that we're challenged in the right way. Um, and, you know, the big one, data quality is always uh, um, at the forefront. Yeah, we're trying to make sure that the, that data is delivered, you know, upstream and making sure that the consumers are happy. And then the producers are also uh, doing their bits to ensure the data is in the right format and actually bridging that gap between the two and making sure um, that we're constantly evaluating because it's not always easy just to check you know, spend time on building data quality frameworks and also building pipelines and supporting pipelines at the same time. So uh, I think Dom and the team do a great job balancing all those elements at one time. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, just just following up on this, because um, you, you mentioned that you're kind of a you're kind of a startup, right? Um, so how, how is it to work with two companies that have been in the in the business for in the business of production not uh, delivering the content on on the on the uh, online platforms but being there uh, doing that for so long um, having their own biases maybe or their own experiences their own uh, decisions that they've taken throughout the time like how how is it 
affecting all the all the interactions between you as a, as a, as a startup with them as companies and uh, as you as an employee actually. Oh, big big question. Uh, <laughs> I think I probably worth mentioning that uh, although we yeah we are a joint venture, um, we we do have autonomy as a company and that okay. really comes through across various departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we quite fortunate in that in that we That's yeah true. we we do make those those a lot of the technical decisions um are up to us especially when it comes to uh do, delivering uh products for um for our internal teams uh i mean yes there there have been or there is sometimes um maybe a little bit of frustration frustration maybe that's the right right word uh just um and maybe impatience in that uh, there is certain stuff because we we are relying on these upstream systems that aren't provided by by us. We there are things we kind of wish we could do ourselves, um, just because they'll be exactly the way we want them. Uh, but then we we also need to think the bigger picture um, and how we can utilize these these tools um, and yeah, just trust in the other teams that. Um, we can work together and deliver the right solutions in in combination. Sometimes we have to juggle uh, having sort of people across various departments and companies in one meeting to deliver an end-to-end solution. Uh, but uh, as long as we've got someone sort of overseeing the end-to-end and track, keep tracking these interactions, uh, I think it's been been working fine so far. But yeah, definitely in terms of sort of speed of delivery sometimes and just been from a developer perspective it's um <laughs> there's 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 so many different ways of doing the same thing yeah. um and everyone feels strongly about their own way um <laughs> me in, included so sometimes it's like oh i could just write this and it'll be done um <laughs> but we've got a big bigger picture yeah. so just talking upon the point of decision making um you know, within the space of data, we see that there are so many tools. So, for example, there is GCP, so there's SQL versus Python, and then you have, say, Local Studio versus Tableau. So, um, as a comp or as a team, how are those decisions made in terms of which technology to be leveraged? Of course, cost plays a large factor. But if you could throw some light on, you know, how are the different technologies used and actually leveraged, uh, you know, decided upon to be used? I should maybe talk more generally and then, um, I mean, I think I found in a lot of organisations, you know, sometimes you start a company and those decisions have already been made and commercial deals are already in place. I think, you know, for example, at Shell, they've got large commercial deals in place with technology vendors. And, you know, if you're working within a specific team, you don't necessarily get to influence those decisions uh, in that context as well. But um, I think that in the context of Sky Showtime, we've um, you know, we've inherited uh, some of the uh, the kind of tooling technologies, but we're always, I think, open to look at the best way to do the right thing. Uh, and the most, it's not just necessarily cost efficient because uh, it could be process driven. Actually, that drives down time, uh, which generally impacts costs as well. But it's a fine balance, right? You know, it's uh, it's not always just finding the, the, the kind of hype tool on the market because, mm. you know, there may not be uh, a commercially viable company to work with so I, I I think that you know there's there's always two two folds and and I mean Dom I think can probably give a, a better example of, of decisions that have been made to to look at specific tools but I, I think it's a a wide uh, subset of uh, aspects that that kind of form into it um 
Yeah, sure. Um, just thinking of uh, some of the the most recent recent decisions, uh, we've had to think about various different aspects. Uh, with us being uh, again, I keep saying that being the startup, uh, but also being a relatively small team. Um, when we look at, look at different tools, um, so for example, we've recently looked at using um, Firebase um, for. Um, some of some of our additional systems and using Firestore as um, as a supplementary database for that system. Um, we when we were designing that particular piece of work, uh, the aspects that we considered is the team familiarity with the technology, um, the, the vendor, as we see Firebase and Firestore being Google products uh, that were already available for us, uh, which meant that they were enabled our platform and we could do the testing with ease. Uh, so, so timing wise, that also helped. Um, and also uh, the suitability to deliver that objective. So our key objectives at that time were um, for an external application to be able to, uh, to connect to it and provide a secure system to do that. Uh, so again, we looked at um, how that, that secure connection could be established is there a tool that that already provides us with that kind of connection or do we need to write something that's that's custom made for ourselves how does that work in terms of time and team knowledge uh, and other further implications that would involve additional teams uh, so for writing something uh, custom made perhaps cybersecurity needs to be involved um, will that delay the, the project um, do we need to um, do we need to get Sky involved? Perhaps there is a different way of implementing the whole system. Perhaps we could use part of their platforms. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's figuring out what the uh, top objectives are. Uh, so for us, it was time, timeliness, uh, the team knowledge, um, whether we could use sort of languages, technologies we know um, across the platform. Um, yeah, so these metrics, how they score against those metrics, um, and I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. A small part of it as well is, uh, as as engineers, uh, we do want to use the uh, the fancy new tools. So um, if there is scope to go for something a bit more exciting uh, than the sort of old tools that people complain about, there will always be a tiny little preference towards those. I, I think both of you touched really good good points with technology because sometimes uh, there are some 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 particular reasons why you go with 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 a tool or why you take a decision regarding what technology to use. But in, in the end, if if it's a new company, it comes down to also what does the team know? Like what are their preference? What what are the familiarities as you mentioned? Because uh, nowadays there are so many companies offering kind of the same tool with just bits and tweaks that are different and might be uh, better for your, for your company, might not, but uh, it's important to understand uh, how much time you also need to involve into uh, bringing that, that tool into your company because in the end, uh, even though it's it's the best or uh, is the newest, uh, it might be too costly or too uh, too time consuming to to bring it to a certain point. And uh, if you if you don't mind, because uh, um, in term two we kind of have a project. Um, so at Data Science Society we do research projects uh, every term and during the summer. And uh, in term two I proposed and uh, kind of supervised the project, uh, which was on uh, uh, movie recommendation systems. Uh, so, because it's it's part of uh, 
of our new uh, content consumption. Uh, we are recommended a lot of content. We are recommended what movies to watch and uh, so on. Um, maybe could you briefly explain how you are doing that at Sky Show or how you've, if you've developed this tool or if you've taken some something that was out there already. Um, I, I would really love to better understand uh, uh, your perspective on this. I mean, I'm not sure how much detail, uh, <laughs> you know, we can discuss, but I think that, you know, recommendation systems are, are an interesting one. I think that they're generally used as competitive advantage for companies, you know, getting the right content so you can keep you engaged or make you look at things that you weren't used at before. I think there's a, you know, historically there was a large uh, prize associated by a large streaming company that kind of stemmed a lot of the, the Kaggle kind of competitions and so mm -hmm. forth as well. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting maybe to, to know from your perspective what you've learned, so maybe we can take some things away as well. Like. Um, so um, I think they they, they were because you mentioned Kaggle. That's that's where we we got the data set from, um, uh, which hasn't had a really nice um, script on how to pre-process the data and then uh, some some hints. Um, the team uh, didn't go that further and didn't come up with uh, a new way of recommending uh, um, recommended these movies. But generally, what was uh, advised and what was taken into consideration was um, either what was what that user watched before, or like as you said, we we didn't have the uh, we had the leverage to not care about uh, privacy because the data was already anonymized. But I I know that uh, as a company you do have to take care of that and make maybe groups and um, put things together in order not to be able to uh, pinpoint a particular user. Uh, but for us, it wasn't that case. So um, we were looking at what um, a user watched before. Um, and it was really important also uh, the, um, the ratings and the number of uh, uh, like the popularity of those of those movies and similar ones. Um, so it had to do with genres. Uh, if a user had maybe watched 10 movies that are um, um, science fiction and uh, they are the most maybe 10 uh, five out of those 10 or the most popular ones, um, you could I'd recommend the next five most popular movies that uh, they haven't watched. Um, or maybe if uh, a particular movie that maybe they've rated as well um, had some particularities in terms of, uh, it's not only a science uh, fiction uh, movie, but uh, it's uh, having some drama or some romance into it. Maybe you could uh, try to uh, also give um, something for them to try i know it's more popular with um with TikTok and shorts and reels because user is consuming a lot of content so it's easier to uh throw in something new and see how they react uh but uh, i think it it can be done to a degree in in uh in the uh area of recommending a series or movie uh to be watched because uh, it, it's you need to commit more time to actually understand if you if you prefer it or not but yeah there, there was some 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 of the key aspects that uh we've looked into um unfortunately the team didn't uh finish the project but uh we would be happy to maybe uh find some some new uh eager people that uh would look further into this and uh, i don't know, uh come back to with you and have a discussion about it no, i think it, i think it's interesting from my perspective as well i think that you know some of the the things that you mentioned actually having a data set that was kind of ready made 
Yeah. I think if you, you look at organisations, you know, especially some of the larger ones, trying to get that data set together in a format that's usable um, can be a challenge. And it's not just necessarily the technical aspects. It can be the organisational boundaries and, uh, and ownership and even discovery, right? Where is that data? Who has access to it? Should you be allowed to have access to it? And, and even down to very simple things, such as you talked about genre, what is the actual classification of a of a title and, and who makes that decision? Um, and, you know, how does that impact the, the the model in the end in terms of, you know, what features are used and what features aren't? So, I, uh, yeah, I think it's a complex problem. And then to get to that point is, uh, is not an easy one as well. Uh, I think there's the old adage of, uh, you know, what is it, 80% of the work of a data scientist is cleaner data. Um, <laughs> that, that sense, it may well be true. Uh, I may suggest a, uh, an extension or a continuation of your project, um, and it's to think about it from the end data engineering perspective. Mm-hmm. And when you have, when your model, you're quite happy with your model, is figuring out how you then run it in production yeah. or rely, make sure that it's run reliably. So. Um, how do you make sure that your outputs recommendations are consistent, in a, yeah. in, consistently in a timely manner that the recommendation if you go straight on the platform that is available to the user uh, instantly that it loads mm. instantly the, the content they should be seeing uh, also how do you monitor uh, the actual recommendations whether there's any uh, drift in mm-hmm. uh, the recommendations over time um, what happens when your model stops running <laughs> what's the backup plan who's going to find out about it um yeah who can who can fix that um how do you alert those issues um or or worth looking at um and form part of the data engineering sphere as well mm-hmm. indeed indeed good good points yeah we'll 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 try to come up with a maybe a more holistic project because uh with this research project they they're they don't have that much time uh, it's usually run throughout the term so roughly three three months um and we do tend to focus on the data science perspective, either either maybe processing the data or uh, having the data processed already and coming up with a model to do some machine learning or some 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 stuff like that. Uh, but indeed, there are in whenever you're going to into the real world, there are even more challenges that you have to address and you have to take into consideration. It's not um, you might find the the best algorithm that giving you the best answer but if it's taking it two minutes to recommend something it's it's useless in the end so um i i do agree there are loads of things that need to be uh need to be considered before taking a decision into uh, such things um yeah thank you so much for sharing that tom and Emma. Uh, thank you for that question alexandro i think there's a lot of takeaways for students um in the interest of time Emma, if you could you're currently pursuing the executive MBA at the University of Warwick. So could you tell us what that journey has been like for you? Um, juggling a full-time job with an MBA, your takeaways, and is there anything differently that you do now in your role post your MBA? Could you could you give us? Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. I think I I started um, during lockdown uh, during COVID, um, so everything was remote. Um, and then kind of moved to to online. Um, I think my aspiration for doing it was not necessarily for career movement, but uh, learning and, and, and learning a wide variety of things. Um, and it's certainly given me that. I've met a lot of really talented people. I've learned from um, from not just tutoring sessions, but also the people in the classes. I mean, I think in my day-to-day job, I wouldn't necessarily have got to touch aspects like accounting 
or entrepreneurship or strategy. So I think it's given me a really broad spectrum. And actually, it's been quite vocational as well in terms of applicable to the real world. So, you know, a lot of the assignments are driven by, you know, past experiences. So um, I, I can't lie, it has been tough trying to balance um, two kids, a busy job and an MBA at the same time. Um, I may be taking a slightly unconventional route in terms of doing it uh, slightly longer than most. I, I found trying to write an assignment, do pre-reading and doing group work all within one week uh, quite difficult. I think by the time I finished work, my brain was ready to explode. So I, I paused a little bit between model uh, modules and, and kind of stretched it out a little bit further. I am close though now. I've got a dissertation to do. Um, <laughs> so I'm very excited about finishing, although I will miss the journey that I've been on. But it will be nice to have a few months not thinking about uh, assignments in the evening. Um, but yeah. <laughs> maybe could you could yeah could you maybe share your experience as well because I know you're doing a master's here as well. We can. Uh, you've you've told me before that you're considering an MBA, so maybe uh, having your perspective would be nice too. Uh, yes, absolutely. So I had actually applied for the full-time MBA at the University of Warwick during uh, lockdown as well. Um, for personal reasons, uh, I couldn't pursue it that year, and I my admission wasn't effort. And then it was a tough call for me to take between an MBA and um, an analytics. But uh, it's been a great experience for me, of course, the past one year, having to work with diverse individuals, you know, different people. And of course, the learnings have been great technically for me, which is my primary aspiration for pursuing an MSc. And at the same time, I got to do a dissertation, an external dissertation with Sky Short Time. So I felt it was uh, a very wholesome experience for me because I got to practice hands-on some of the tools and techniques that I'd learned uh, during my master's. And I worked closely with Dong. Um, so personally, it was uh, I had a number of great takeaways from the MSc experience as well. And I think doing an external dissertation was, was just a perfect ending to my course. So I would definitely maybe recommend an MSc or an MBA at the University of Warwick because you get a lot of hands-on experience in terms of what is uh, being used in the industry and then you also have opportunities to pursue within um, industries and the different sectors. So I would say it's been a wonderful experience. Lovely to hear and uh, so we don't uh, leave you out of this discussion Dom. Could you, because I think it's really, it's the realities of nowadays, um, people are doing a degree um, for for different reasons, maybe their parents were pushing for them, or maybe they thought that that's their their passion or um, uh, the coolest thing at that time. But I've seen, and it's been easier than ever, I would say, from my perspective at least, uh, it uh, to change your to to not fully commit to what you've been starting. Um, as as your example, uh, you probably you started liking technologies and technology and using uh, or developing some some coding or it doesn't really matter but could you maybe give us some um uh, or to the audience um audience uh, some some piece of advice on how this trans transition could be made or um how to um cope with it because i know prob most likely there will be a lot of challenges uh for trying something new. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe if you could work, work us for, for that and uh, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, so I guess first piece of advice uh, or uh, just a bit of knowledge is it, it's not an easy journey. Um, it, there's definitely a lot to learn, especially to, to begin with. Uh, they, a lot of uh, 
angry evenings where my code just wouldn't run and I could not understand why and ready to throw my laptop out the window. Um, but it's all all part of uh, part of the fun because then made it work the next day and then that's like the best feeling ever I just kind of want to go dance on the street uh so <laughs> as the uh the, on the flip side uh so yeah it's a bit, bit of an up and down journey um and I'm sure a lot of developers will, will tell you to you the same um that the, the lows are low and the highs are high um so yeah if that's if that applies to people that they like working that way certainly go with it <laughs> um and just the, the other part as well when see especially for people that are more established in the industry um is if you do switch technology it's uh, it's actually um accepting that you are back to a junior position and um if you aren't as established and it's uh, and take it all as a learning opportunity um often people that are younger than you will tell you how to do stuff um and yeah you there's always lo- loads to learn so just just embrace it and don't let that what seems like a career step back uh get you down where it's it's only temporary it's just a branch that you're taking uh yeah. if, you, if you may allow me this github joke <laughs> um yeah um so um maybe we could finish with this um i, I would really love to um, see to 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 get two things from uh, all three of you uh, one, if if you go back in time, or uh, if you had the chance, um, there would would there be anything that you'd change, or um, and not like that, but also uh, having this experience now, would you do something differently moving on compared to how you've been doing things? Uh, and then I'll add the other the other question in the end. A tough question. Um, I was wasn't expecting to be stumped by that one. I, I think I've, you know, I Dom will probably be testament to this. I moan a lot, but I actually really enjoy my job. Um, I enjoy the challenges that come with technology and fast moving technology and the opportunity to learn um, uh, again and again. Like I once a year take a few days away to practice my development in a particular programming language just for a bit of fun. Um, so I think if I could go back, I would probably maybe spend another couple of years doing some more of the foundations as well. So they were so deep rooted and embedded because I think that, um, yeah, it's it's easy to try and move around and do different things, but end up being a specialist in a particular area. Um, and I always like I would be curious, I think, like, like, don't don't stop. Like, if you're interested, go and find out. I think that's that's the thing. A lot of people. Uh, that I work with and still work with now still look at things in the evening so I think it's a it's an industry of of pure passion I don't think it's something that you can do long term if you just treat it as a job like you've got to enjoy doing it Uh, and I think a lot of the best people that I've worked with um, are the ones that are passionate doesn't mean that they're the best developers that you know but the best can be best to work with the ones that, that you know are easy to work with or get stuff done quickly so yeah uh, a multitude of things there but be passionate about what it is we want to do and be curious um i mean for starters uh, i'm gonna have to find out more about uh those annual side projects Ahmed. <laughs> see if we can make those sky show time applicable um get you caden on the ground i'm afraid that you're gonna look at my code and laugh at it so yeah <laughs> i'm not giving you my uh i'm not giving you access to my github personal repo no chance <laughs> ah. 
All right then. Uh, but in terms of how whether I'll do anything differently, um, honestly, I'd probably just take my own advice from earlier on and just not stress <laughs> out about it as much. Um, yeah, there are definitely days, especially in my early days of working for Sky, where I mean, I've worked in a very supportive environment, so the pressures weren't really, really there. I've had really great um, colleagues uh, and mentors um, at work, but I probably put a little bit too much pressure on myself uh, in learning things as quickly as possible or just beat myself up a little bit over not being able to understand some things straight away. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably just tell myself to chill out a bit more. All right. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with what Emma and Dom said. I think being curious is very important because I think if you're part of a specific role um, or industry, you tend to not explore uh, the other tools that are out there, or, you know, what the other say product based teams are doing and everything. So I think just staying curious and staying interested and just keeping up to date, trying to keep up to date with uh, what is going on in your industry and other industries and within that space of say data and analytics. So I think that is a big takeaway. And of course, networking, I think is also very important. That has been a great takeaway. I've had the opportunity to speak to a number of individuals from different teams and, you know, different mindsets. And it's been a great learning experience. So maybe all of that. Um, and the, the final, final thing uh, now, you know, whenever you create something, it's OK, dash final and then you add dash final again. Uh, so because um, I think it's it's not a buzzword yet, or maybe it's been a buzzword, but the, we like we've seen people still talking about this, still trying to implement this technology and uh, moving further with it. Um, and I'm talking about generative AI. Um, maybe could you could you give me your perspective from the um, from the industry of entertainment? How would you see it, or how would you, are you planning to um, take advantage advantages of all this craziness going on around with generative AI and um, especially visual tools? Because um, uh, they've been more. Um, I know all everybody's using ChatGPT, which uh, it's language based uh, and uh, it's transformer, not really a generative AI, but still, um, yeah, like there are some cool stuff out there like uh, Mid Journey and others that allow you to create uh, prompts or to take a um, 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 prompt and create a, a moving thing like an object or uh, and other things like there are tons of tools that are, are being created. So yeah, um, what are what are your plans with with these? I think that as an industry uh, more recent, um, maybe 2023, there's um, uh, the recent writer strike. Um, I don't know whether you've heard about it, you know, um, in terms of uh, actors walking out and writers. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that as an industry, generative AI is potentially impacting and, and causing mm -hmm. uh, a stir. So I think that it's it's definitely one to watch. I, I, I'm interested to see the barriers to entry for organizations as well, um, not just, you know, media companies as well. So, you know, if you look at a lot of the organizations, it's very subjective, by the way, but if you look at a lot of the organizations that are leading the way with generative tools like, you know, ChatGPT, they're the larger organizations. How do you make those available to smaller companies and make their data available in those models at the same time? Um, so I think that that will be an interesting uh, concept as well. Um, to kind of democratize to a certain extent and, and market generative AI to to all companies of all sizes, or is it always going to be applicable? Because I, I don't think the 
the rollout of that has has started yet. We've seen, you know, the stir of it and actually the hype around it. So, um, I mean, it's definitely going to play a part. And, and one of the things I, I, I learned on my recent kind of Warwick module was that <laughs> someone came in, you know, and, and talked a little bit about um, having worked in the finance sector and actually they went and spent a lot of time outside, uh, you know, weekends kind of uh, learning about what AI did because mm-hmm. um, it wasn't necessarily about being afraid about their roles being taken in the future, but, you know, uh, trying to accommodate how AI might impact their job in the future. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, so I, I think that there's a lot of fear of, of you know, uh, the Isaac Asimov kind of robots taking over, but I, I think that we're, we're still some far yeah, maybe some some way off that just just yet, but uh, I might Hopefully. be wrong. So yeah, I don't know. This kind of generation isn't isn't quite here. I don't think so. Just from the engineering perspective, uh, the developers particularly like to embrace that all those tools, anything that makes our jobs easier. Yeah. Uh, so possibly less on the image base, but more uh, sort of code information mm-hmm. base. So ChatGPT, um, Bard, um, and Copilots, all these yeah, these tools. Um, we try and use what we can to make our jobs a l- that little bit easier. All right, great. Um... Yeah, I, I know we're a, a bit over time, so thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, I hope it was a great conversation, not from only my perspective. Uh, and uh, you've enjoyed that uh, as well. And because I know we've been busy, we've already postponed and it, it took some time to to get this done. So we, we really appreciate uh, your time and uh, your commitment to uh, helping us uh, develop this uh, podcast and uh, getting all the insights to the people and uh, what matters to them. Uh, so yeah, thanks, thanks greatly. Uh, it was a lovely experience. Experience. lovely afternoon for me and uh, yeah I hope to meet you sometime soon uh, in person yeah thanks so much thanks for having us uh, yeah it's been great yeah thank you it's been a real pleasure well, thank you for, for inviting us to come talk for yeah really enjoyed it thank you so much thank you so much for your time for me personally this is an episode that has been excited about for a very long time so thank you so much taking the time out to speak to us. I think our students will have a number of takeaways from this particular episode and specifically within uh, this industry as well. Uh, So thank you so much. It was great having you.